Welcome to the Best Player Wins podcast, where we believe that winning is winning, no matter by how little or by how much. I'm your host, Jake Deemer, back in the power chair. Joining me is Jerwin Wolf. Jerwin, thank you for filling in for me uh, last week. You did an admirable job uh, captaining the podcast ship, and I really appreciated you steering that episode and uh it was, it was very enjoyable that was the first one i listened to in forever because as i as we know i don't listen to the podcast where i'm on so that was a definitely a, a fun experience for me i finally being able to listen to a, a best player wins baseball podcast so excellent job there well thank you jake i, I had a lot of fun doing it and uh i look forward to to more when uh when we have weeks off and and so on let's get right into it starting with our prior week recap uh the the big one here brendan finally gets in the win column he defeated jordan uh legville and nick andries beat eddie mike beat nate in a matchup that didn't quite come down well did it come down to bryce miller not starting did we actually check on that? I don't think we did. Okay. Check on that. I'm going to read the rest of them. Uh, Nick Lee defeated Jerowin in a low-scoring matchup. Both teams scored under 200. I beat JC in another fairly low-scoring matchup. And uh, in our last one, Scott beat Sam. Um, our median was 237.1. Uh, the victors that missed the median were me and Nick Lee. And the losers who made the median were Nate and Sam. So they both went one and one last week. Uh, did we, do we have, do we have Bryce Miller? Um, who do you happen to know who it was that it was Barrios, right? That he started instead. Correct. Okay. So uh, let's see here. Uh, 288.2 minus 259.2. Uh, the difference was 29 points in the matchup. The difference between Jose Barrios and Bryce Miller, 31. Excellent, excellent. Okay. So there you have it. It it was the the Bryce Miller sit that cost Nate the two in a week. I'm glad that we glad that we were able to figure that out since it was in the group chat. But anyways, let's go to our standings update. Um We'll, we'll switch this over to wildcard race later, but for now, we're still going to stick with top three. In first place in the East is No Money Mike. He's a nine and one. Uh, he is he came off another high scoring week. I think this is what is this his third week in a row where he's at the top of the, the league in scoring, something like that. He's been on on fire. JC stays in second with seven and three despite the zero and two week. I'm right behind him now, though, even though I just went one and one. Um, I picked up a game. I'm also at seven and three and third place in the East. Moving over to the West, no no change here as Scott is still at the top at nine and one, followed by Nick Lee at five and five. And in third place at three and seven, we have a newcomer here for, I think, the third week in a row, and that is Sam. And again, we have a couple teams tied at three and seven. Brendan now, fun fact, is only one game out of a playoff spot. In, well, one game out of, I guess, be a playoff spot and third place in his own division, despite winning for the very first time this past week. So 
uh yeah definitely some some interesting an interesting divide between the two divisions uh for sure at least early on uh one you can one looks a, one, I'm just, yeah i'll just say one looks like one looks a lot tougher than the other <laughs> frankly <laughs> i mean the the east is like nate would be in second in in the west right now and he's and he currently is in a wild card spot that's crazy scott scott is already four games ahead of the next closest team in the west and nobody in the west has looked outside of scott i should say has has looked consistent i'll say consistently impressive because we've had some weeks from sam who's been very good nick lee has had some good weeks so is i mean you you and jordan have as well but scott is the only team in that division that has been consistent and i mean i guess we could just move right into our takeaways from last week and i guess that is one that the what that for me that the east is a lot tougher than the west for sure and it's i mean there's not really any arguing that but i'll i'll toss it over to you do you have any takeaways from last week well yeah i mean along the same lines like yes the east and west there there's a big divide there i f- I feel like every year there's a big divide that emerges rather quickly. I, But I think this one might be, I'll have to go back and, and check and see like just how sharp the divide has been in the past. But this one feels like pretty wide. Like you said, like um, Nate is a wildcard team right now and he would be in second in the West. I also think it's also always been the East that has outpaced the West when, when we have these big divides. I'll have to check on that too. But yeah, I mean, I, I was thinking about it today, looking at these standings and I, I, I distinctly remember towards the end of last year, I, I think it was the last episode talking about who the divisions were going to be for this season and kind of pointing to the East as like the favorite. We thought there, there's going to be some pretty good teams in there and then the west being like the underdog division um and it's kind of it's kind of living up to that so far like the east is is definitely very strong and the west is just full of full of underdogs and leading the way is scott who to me is like we haven't talked enough about him this is this is kind of bordering on a second takeaway we haven't talked enough about scott He's been an underdog in the league for a while after taking over for a team mid-season, kind of having a rough year last year. I'm very excited that that Scott is having a good year. You love to see new names at the top. Um and and he's he's dominating so far. I mean, Mike is probably a little bit more dominant than than Scott, but Scott's like one one b to the one a so far this season and then one final takeaway brendan may have saved his team it it's a little early but he looked pretty good last week the new the shiny new pitching staff uh got off to a good start at least for him so we'll we'll see moving forward if that if that pans out and and jordan was right picked picked brendan to win the matchup and he did so just real quick, a fun fact. Uh, 
as we know, well, I guess we might not know this. People, other people might not know this. Mike and Scott last year were our bottom two teams. They finished, that be 12th and 11th. Do you know how many wins they had last year combined? Goodness. Was it nine? Uh, it was not nine. It was 16. They have combined so far this year for 18 wins. Wild. So Wild. crazy turnaround there. Our bottom two teams last year are now uh, one and two in the league and leading their divisions. So definitely interesting there. Um, let's go to our trades. We we have a few. Um, our The big one kind of lost a little steam, but uh, we, we can briefly touch on it anyways. I guess we can start there. League villain Nick Andrews trades Max Freed and Jordan traded Marcus Simeon. This would have been interesting before the Max Freed injury. And I guess, like, I kind of thought that that Simeon for Freed normally would be would be fine. Like, I, I think that's a fine trade, even with uh, Simeon's uh, extra year of of keeper eligibility, where Freed doesn't have one. But uh, I, I don't know. There's not really a whole lot to talk about now with freed going on the injured list originally i actually have in the notes as he is day-to-day with uh <laughs> he's day-to-day with working through some stuff because that was all the that was all that i had when originally when i put this in the notes but um it looks like he, is, he has a forearm injury and he will be gone for quite some time so I don't know if you have anything to add, but I don't know if there's a whole lot more to talk about with this trade just because of the timing of the injury. Yeah, not much more about the trade, just just a general sadness for for Jordan, obviously, and for the league as a whole and the podcast, because I thought we were getting like the icebreaker trade we talked about last week. We were going to get some interesting stuff to talk about, and we just we can't have nice things. The, the trade market is still dead. And it makes me sad. Yeah, definitely a sad, sad day for the podcast, because I believe we both have him in other leagues as well. Max Freed, that is. And we are also saddened by his forearms passing. Indeed. Yes. But let's go to another trade we can talk about. Sam traded Anthony Rendon. Brendan traded Clay Holmes. I think this is a clear win for um for Brendan getting Anthony Rendon, uh, especially in light of Clay Holmes, probably not even being the Yankees closer anymore and looking a little bit like a one-year wonder. Um, but I mean, Rendon, I don't think at the time of the trade was not going to cover off the ball or anything, but uh, still, I think he's definitely more valuable. We can say than Clay Holmes, who's probably at this point, pretty close to being droppable. Yeah, I mean, when I checked today, Rendon was averaging 3.2 points. So, and looking at like his other numbers, like his plate discipline is really, really good. Like once upon a time, he was an elite player in our format. And to start the year, he looks like he, he could be that. I mean, we don't know how long that'll last, but I mean, it's been a while since we've seen this Rendon, and just the fact that we're seeing it at all is a great sign. So if he keeps it up, I agree. Definitely a win for Brendan. All right, let's go to our last trade. Nate traded Jorge Polanco, and just as quickly as he arrived on his team, he was gone. Jose Barrios is also shipped out in this trade. He got back Michael Harris the second from Mike. 
Um, I'm going to say this is a win for Nate because Jose Brias stinks and Michael Harris is the best player in this trade, even though Jorge Polanco is also very good. Um, probably a little, I might be discounting Jorge Polanco there, but uh, give me who I think is the best player in Michael Harris, even if it is, I'll call it like a, maybe a, a slight, me slightly better than, than Jorge Polanco. Cause this is, this is a very good format for Polanco, whereas not quite as much for Harris but yeah give me the best player and um the roster spot that is not being occupied by Jose Barrios I think is how I'll evaluate that uh any thoughts on that one I mean I think I'm a little bit more I think I'm waffling on this trade a little bit more than you are like this group of players is just a bunch of guys who I don't don't really know what to make of yet like Michael Harris and Jorge Polanco have both missed some time. Polanco more so. Uh, Michael Harris was kind of like a bus candidate coming into the year. Um, and he he struggles with putting the ball on the ground too much. And that hasn't really changed. But in the current environment, that should be better than it was last year. So, yeah, I I would probably agree that Michael Harris is the best player in this trade to to the degree the degree to which he is the best i'm not so sure uh like you said jorge polanco is pretty good too and i'm this is going to be a hot take this is going to be i'm going to get booed for this somewhere i know i'm not entirely out on jose barrios i i get that he's kind of a cherry bomb like you don't know what you're going to get when you throw him out there and i don't know i some days he'll have a good start and some days he'll have a bad start. He just, he is who he is, but I don't think that's a useless player to roster. He, he might be overall average. He He's a risky play for sure. And most of the time you're probably going to err on the side of not starting him, but in a, in a two start week with, with some good matchups, I, I think he's had a decent enough start to the season, and his underlying numbers look decent enough for me to think that he'll he'll be worth starting from time to time. My problem with Jose Barrios, and not to not to waste more time talking about Jose Barrios, but <laughs> my issue with him is he's one of those guys where he's so inconsistent that you, the most of the time that you he has his good starts they come on your bench because you don't want to start him because he just burned you with a bad start. And we all know that's how it works. I mean, even, even his, I guess even this past week, Nate had him for a two start week. He was terrible in his first start and Nate couldn't bench him. He just traded him. And that's just kind of how that's just what you sign up for with Jose Barrios is I feel like 75% of the time you're going to be wrong on when you start him because he's so inconsistent. I guess you don't have any more thoughts on that. We'll move on to our main segment. I don't, I don't know if you were pausing to move on or let me say more about it. I thought we didn't want to talk about him more. <laughs> don't, so that's fine. We can just, like, empty air is is better than us talking about Jose Brios, honestly. So let, let's, let's move on here. This was originally going to be uh, rankings debates. And our, we were, were kind of we were going to bring this back every month. We're going to do this once a month. This was going to be the great May pitching debate. 
uh, where Jerwin or mine and Jerwin's rankings went head to head. And we uh, we entered in a great battle of minds to determine whose were uh, whose rankings were, were best. I don't know. However, due to some circumstances that were a little out of my control, um, that AKA, you know, job stuff, I did not get to update my rankings in time. So instead, I get to be a coward, having not made any rankings of my own for Jerowin to pick apart. And I just get to pick apart Jerowin's rankings. So we have here a couple guys where I, I looked at Jerowin's rankings. I'll, I'll say if they're too if I think they're too high, or too low, Jerowin will defend his position, or maybe I can sway him to my side. Uh, before we start, though, um, Jerowin, I'll let you explain kind of the methodology behind your rankings. I know that I explained them last year, and it's largely the same, but just as a refresher, um, can you kind of go through your thoughts when you were ranking pitchers or uh, any methodology that you used? Sure. I, I think part of my methodology so far has been figuring out my methodology. So, I mean, the overall process I go through might change by next month's updates. But kind of what I what I did for the most part was I started with my pre-draft rankings, looked at looked at you know for maybe like the first twenty to thirty guys on the roster i didn't want to move them around too much but you know if if they were already there and they're performing well and i think their underlying numbers support what they're doing i moved them up if they weren't doing well but i was expecting a comeback i kept them like about the same maybe moved them up or down a little bit um and just kind of went through that and, you know, kind of started establishing tiers. And then as I got to the next guy, kind of looking at the guys I had above him and asking, okay, would I move, you know, uh, Kevin Gosman above uh, Corbin Burns and, and just kind of bubbled them up that way. As it got like into the middle rankings, like, towards the middle to the end of like the the starting caliber tier i kind of started favoring i i started favoring like current performance a little bit more than like where they were preseason um and then kind of after like the 50s and 60s like then it was just kind of like are they did are they having respectable outings would you consider starting this guy at all and and kind of going from there it's a lot it's a lot looser down at, at the bottom admittedly but you you rank 100 guys and you get tired of it after after a while so that's kind of the the brief overview of what i was doing um and I'm I'm sure I'll continue to refine that throughout the season because this is this is my first time doing rankings in the season, um, and I I basically had to change my entire approach and mindset as compared to like preseason ranking for like a draft. Yeah, it's definitely different. But I I'll go over just a couple rules, and you can stop me if you didn't use any of these. But I remember I think we had discussed before. Uh, 
before making rankings we were both going to do this and i know that i did it last year um in these rankings you will not find any prospects currently in the minors um so there these are not stash rankings um we also do not rank injured players because they're that is that would be boring because you know every update we would just be moving them up as they get closer to a return and there's not much to talk about with injured players anyways so they're they're also out I'm just not going to rank them um i think those were the oh uh the other one these are redraft rankings only so we're not factoring in keeper value into this um at all this is strictly who would i prefer for the rest of this season um if i am trying to win a championship right now uh so the Jerwin, I don't think I missed anything else, but I, I, I guess believe like, those are the only ones. An unspoken one is like this is starting pitcher rankings. We're not considering SPARP as a as a factor here either. At least I didn't. Correct. Yes. Yeah. If they're a relief pitcher, th this is. I guess I want to. I guess you could, could you could call it like performance, like strictly performance. Um, where all all, all other things equal. We're comparing one pitcher against another. The positions don't don't matter. Keeper value doesn't matter. Things like that. But let's get into it. Let's start near the top. And we're going to... It, it kind of pained me to do this because this guy is very near and dear to my heart. But Clayton Kershaw, you have all the way up at starting pitcher number eight. I thought that was too high. Um, I guess we can start. I'll, I'll let you kind of defend your position here. Why did you place him that high? Why'd you put him in your top 10? Well, in the top 10, I, I think just the performance that he's had so far this year, and again, looking at some of the underlying numbers, he's just plain and simple. He's the goat. He He's aging out, but he's still getting the job done. Still has elite strikeout to walk ratios elite swinging strike rate, elite hard contact, basically everything you want out of a guy. And that's all despite like the lack of velocity that he's been missing on his fastball for years now. To me, the reason that he's not higher is because he's he's got the back issues and you're kind of you're kind of expecting him to to miss some time. So I put him he, he's in my my third tier of pitchers with uh, he's number 8 and then behind him in this tier is Zach Wheeler, Corbin Burns and Sandy Alcantara. The latter two are kind of struggling to start the year and I think are showing like clear signs as to why that might be. So, you know, reason reason for actual concern zach wheeler has kind of been up and down a little bit this year though i i think he's likely to uh likely to improve on his scoring overall i can maybe be persuaded to move wheeler above kershaw since i think zach wheeler's still a really good pitcher and he doesn't have the injury concern but i i think a top 10 spot Certainly top 12 for Kershaw with how he's performing is is warranted to this point in the year, especially like we're a lot of folks are, are hurting for really solid starting pitching and 
aside from missing time, Kershaw's going to go out there and he's going to score points for you. So that that's always just a great thing to have. I agree with the performance stuff. He's this is as good as he's looked. I guess since the it, it, this is sort of the second iteration of of Kershaw's career, but uh, this is this is as good as he's ever looked um, since that back injury. But you said the back injury isn't why isn't why he's higher. I think you still have him too high because, and I'm I'm basing that on the back injury because. I don't think I can count on him for that many innings. And there is something to say that, you know, exactly the quality of those innings that you're going to get uh, because he's just, he just always seems to be good. But the last two seasons, 20, only 22 starts. um, He didn't pitch 130 innings in either season. Uh, The last time he pitched 130 innings, you have to go all the way back to 2019. And I don't, see that I think that's kind of a realistic ceiling for him innings wise and I don't even though you're getting a lot of volume or no you're not going to get a lot of volume you're like you're going to get quality you're not going to get volume and I don't know I I, I think I, I would like if I'm going to put a guy in the top 10 I would like there to be a better shot that he's pitching for me later in the year I don't know that I see that with Kershaw unfortunately just given his recent injury history and the fact that it's a chronic back injury and he's had problems with this for a little, for a while i just i don't see it i don't see him being able to stay healthy um i had no doubts about the performance but to me i think a top 10 pitcher needs to have the the combination of quality and volume and while that is kind of hard to come by right now I don't know that I can necessarily put Kershaw ahead of guys who I I know at least have the chance to give me both because I, I it it almost feels weird to say I guess with a guy uh, we we'll, we'll use somebody like Corbin Burns even though there is something wrong with him I know that he's behind uh, Kershaw I've seen I, I've seen I, I have faith in Corbin Burns getting me volume and he's been good enough that I think the performance will come around. I don't think there's any chance that Kershaw gives me more than 130 innings. So I that that's completely rolling out the volume piece of it, which I, is very important. I at least think that I, I think Corbin Burns is going to turn it around just because I think he's too good not to. And I know that he can also give me the volume that is required of a top 10 pitcher. So uh, not I, there's other guys too that I would I would use there, but um, I think. Kershaw this is mainly just to illustrate the point I think Kershaw lacking the the volume piece that is that I I think is necessary for a top 10 pitcher is why I think he's too high um any thoughts on on that no I think I I think that's perfectly good reasoning to be to be concerned and I can see what you're saying that you know a top 10 arm needs to have both um I guess for me, probably, probably what I'll I'll be putting to the test this season is how much to kind of adjust and account for my eternal optimism, uh, and probably some recency bias as well when I'm doing these rankings because I, I think that is 
that is probably, if anything, the cause of why I have a guy like Kershaw as high as I do. He's just looked so good. And, I mean, I, I think I had DeGrom around this range, too, before he got hurt. So, I don't know. The, the pitchers who are just darn good, and they're going to... They're going to have great starts when you put them out there like 90% of the time. I just, I value that a lot. And I think, I think certainly I hope springs eternal that they'll be available more often than not. And, and they'll be available. I think for our league specifically when it matters, because like if Kershaw misses the, the entire summer, but he's back for for the playoffs, he could win you a championship. I get that, like, the rankings aren't about who's going to get you a championship. It's who's going to have m- more points at the end of the year. But I don't know. I, I think those guys still have some value if he if they miss miss time. Yeah, that's fair. We'll go to somebody that I think you are too low on, and we're going to move down about 20 spots to Joe Musgrove, who you have at number 28. I think this is not far too low, but definitely too low. Why is Musgrove almost outside your top 30? So this one, when I was when I was looking into how I was going to defend my takes is the one I felt like least strongly about the reason he's down where he is, is because he was coming back from injury. He had two starts when I made these rankings. And I, I think the first one, at least maybe the second one, a little bit too was, you know, cut short because, you know, he's returning from injury. He looked good in in those two starts. Uh, there wasn't anything like overly concerning in in his numbers to start him out there. Um, so I didn't want to like move him way down. I didn't want to move him way up in my rankings. I did move him up a little bit though from preseason, and I think this is probably where my preseason rankings probably had a little bit too much sway over Joe Musgrove is a a case where I can see my preseason rankings having too much sway over my final decision because I was probably lower on Joe Musgrove than most. I mean, he was injured coming into the year, so we didn't know how much time he was going to miss. Um, I think I was assuming he was going to miss like the first week, but he, I think he ended up missing more than I thought. Uh, at least like when draft time came around, I, I didn't think he was going to miss as much as he did. Um, but also he kind of had like a, a very lackluster second half after a great season, a, a great first half last year. So I was kind of, kind of wishy-washy on Joe Musgrove coming into the year. And so only having two starts coming into making these rankings, I didn't want to be too aggressive and and move him way up. Um, I I happened to watch the game on Sunday. He looked pretty good against the Dodgers. So definitely he'll be moving up in 
next month's rankings, assuming he doesn't like play terribly over over the next four weeks or so, and he doesn't, you know, get hurt again. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of where I was on Musgrove. Yeah, I guess my my main point here was going to be I don't know that it changes things if he was lower preseason. I don't know where you had him ranked pre-injury, but for me, he was, I think, 21st or 22nd before his injury in my preseason rankings. And I didn't really see much reason so far to move him that far off of that, I guess. I mean, it doesn't sound like we're we're that far apart, but I will say, like, as the higher the higher up you get in the rankings, the more you can kind of nitpick, I guess. Like, it, that this feels like if Joe Musgrove was in the, it, well, if pitcher, if we're talking towards the back of the rankings, this is kind of the equivalent of like a 15 or 20 point gap, if that makes sense. As you move farther up the rankings, the differences are going to be smaller generally, and um, you can get to nitpick a little bit more. But my main thing, really, Joe Musgrove, I don't think has really done anything so far to to be moved lower. Um, he had the one really bad start, but that was in super course. Uh, so I don't think we can really count that I called that against him yeah. uh his first start was it was okay I mean it was a, he was limited to 80 pitches but he was also coming off an injury and then his latest start he was he looked really good so I, I don't I don't think he's really done anything so far to warrant being being dropped being dropped farther um at least not that far off of where you where I had him uh like pre-injury which was just outside the top 20 um but yeah, I, I don't have I don't have too much more to add because that's kind of where I'm at with him. I just don't think he's he he just looks like Joe Musgrove. Like he just he hasn't done anything to really warrant being dropped too far from his original spot. And I don't even know. I guess we could discuss some of the we will discuss some of the pitchers ahead of him. But um, I don't know. I'm looking at some of these guys, and it's it's like I don't know if they should I don't know if they should be there quite yet. Um, I guess one of them we're not going to talk about, but uh sunny gray at 22 i thought was a little a little aggressive um we can compare to dylan cease at 24 dylan cease is a good one yeah just because like dylan cease also had a bad second half Uh, well not a bad second half he had um some worrying trends in the second half that it looks like have carried over and it's it's not been very good um yeah i i guess we're we're gonna talk about another one ahead of him next uh in Jesus Lazardo. But there's there's just a couple guys I, I don't I don't think I could put ahead of Joe Musgrove. Um I mean I guess any of these guys let's see on my on your rankings, I think I would put him I would slot him at twenty second if I'm looking at it. I, I would have him ahead of all of the guys. I would slot him behind Framber Valdez. So just to read those guys off, Sonny Gray, Luzardo. Uh, Cease, George Kirby, Nestor Cortez, Freddie Peralta. I, I would have them ahead of that whole block. Are they all in the same tier? I'm just out of curiosity. Uh, Sonny Gray and Freddie Peralta are like, you know, Sonny Gray's in the tier above and Freddie Peralta's in the, the tier below. Lazardo, Cease, and Kirby and Cortez are in the tier together. I'll, I'll talk about that tier when we get to Lazardo, but. Yeah, let's just, I, let's move this is like a natural transition let's move since perfect. we're kind of comparing players to here um let's move right into lizardo you have him at 23 can you tell me why 
Yeah, let me look at the notes. Uh, what I wrote down here is he's had a respectable start to the season. Um, a really strong start that's kind of like fell off a little bit, but um, I, I like what the underlying numbers are showing. Uh, and to talk about the tier that he's in, it, I when I was looking at it today, uh, this tier is like in a weird spot because I could see like basically all of the guys in the tier behind them moving ahead of them. So again, the tier, the tier with Lizardo, Lizardo's twenty three, and then behind him is Dylan Cease, George Kirby, and then Nestor Cortez, and then I have a huge tier of players behind them that are like. You know, Joe Musgrove's in there. I just want to see more starts from him. I, I made this rankings before the start at the Dodgers. So, like, obviously, I have more to work with. He's he's going to move up. Uh, Drew Rasmussen, Lucas Giolito, Logan Gilbert, Justin Steele, Hunter Brown, Logan Webb, Eovaldi, Shane Bieber, uh, and I think I missed Freddie Peralta, but he's in that tier as well at the top. Um, a bunch of those guys I could see moving ahead, or at least like Lizardo, Cease, Kirby, and Cortez behind some of those guys in the tier behind them. Um, yeah, I, I think this group of players is just in like a weird spot. Luzardo, I. I like some of the stuff I'm seeing out of him. He had two really great starts to the year. I think the thing that's really holding him back is the Marlins, because <laughs> they're there. I think you you said that the the Reds were a problem uh, in our preseason podcasts, and the Marlins are up there as well. Um, Cease, like you mentioned, has kind of carried over the the troubling signs from the second half of his season last year. Uh, George Kirby, high floor. Don't know if he has the upside. Nestor Cortez. I forget why exactly I had Nestor Cortez in here. Uh, just kind of didn't know what to do with him either. So just in general, I like what I'm seeing out of Luzardo. I just, I don't know where it's going to fall in the next month to a season, you know? All right, so I think we might have a fundamental difference in how we're ranking players because it seems like I'm giving a little bit more. You're going more on an inning-by-inning inning basis, and I think I'm thinking more, I guess, um, innings-wise. I, I would like to see more volume out of out of my guys because I, I have even less faith in, in Jesus Lazardo to survive even half a season than I do uh, Clayton Kershaw. Lazardo just always seems to have something wrong. Um, and he isn't, he's never been a big volume guy. Um, he's never really pitched deep into games. He's, I don't want to say he's, he's not a five and dive sort of guy, but he's also not somebody who's really going to pitch very deep into games. And I say that like six, six plus innings. It seems like, he hits six innings. He's not really efficient enough to get past that. He's usually done by then. Um, he has to be pretty good, even on it to even with, with that being said, he has to be pretty good on an inning by inning basis to uh, 
to make that worth it because he's not pitching deep into games. And like you said, the Marlins are holding him back. He's not getting many wins to buff up his, his point total. Um, on top of that, I, I think the, the performance isn't so much of a question that like, I don't think he's been bad, but I don't think he's been top 25 pitcher. Good. Um, he's, he's allowed 41 hits and in 39 innings. Um, he's, is it's not even like the peripherals are much better. I, I know his, his XERA is over four. I believe his FIP is as well. Um, and he, frankly, he allows a lot of base runners. Um, I don't, I don't think the, the walks, he's kind of gotten the walks under control over the last couple of years. So I don't think that's a huge deal for him, but he is allowing some pretty decent contact. And he hasn't gotten quite as many whiffs as I thought that he would have. I know that coming into the year, I was excited about Luzardo because of his uh, his velocity. But even that, it seems on a start by start basis, has been kind of up and down. It's been a little inconsistent. So all that to say, I don't know that I putting him this high. I think puts a lot of trust in him, and I th- I do not trust him to this extent. So we have him right here as. SP 23 that would seem just on you know strictly math strictly the number of pitchers that means you're trusting him as an as your SP2 and I do not have him in that group um yeah not enough volume uh on a per inning or per game basis um I don't trust him to stay healthy over the long run and he has not he's not really been otherworldly on an inning by inning basis anyways this year I think to to look past those other shortcomings and have him ahead of guys, even such as like a George Kirby or uh, go back to Joe Musgrove, who's, who's kind of, you know, set and forget. And we know what we're going to get from him. Um, Lizardo is not that. I think this is, I think this is far too high for Lizardo. I, so first the things, the, the things I'll agree on or, I, I guess I'll say um, are probably blind spots for me that I, I think I'll definitely take more into consideration. With Kershaw, I know about his injury history, and I was kind of intentionally, not intentionally, but knowingly kind of brushing that under the rug a bit for how good of a pitcher he is. Uh, Luzardo... I suppose what I should have done and what I'll well, I'll try to do more in the future is actually take a look at the innings pitched over the last, you know, in their in their overview on their player page to see like how many innings they've pitched per year. That's something that I frequently forget to do and I definitely did in Luzardo's case. Um last year was his highest with a hundred innings. So um that's definitely a very fair criticism. Um, he was not someone on my radar for like, oh, check to see like if he's a volume guy or not. Because I guess I remember last season he had some injury troubles, but I, I, I didn't remember it being significant enough. I, he must not have been on my radar enough to like have that burned into my memory. Um, and it's hard to see 
injury history. Like there's not an injury history stat on like a, a, a stat cast page. So I think that's something easy to miss. And I think a fair criticism and something that uh, I think I would look into a little bit more. Some things that I'll disagree on like the performance side. Now, they might have just changed since last you looked, but his XERA is 378, which is not great. It's a little bit higher than his actual ERA of 366, uh, and his FIP are 397, is 397. So they are below four, so they're they're better than than you said. Um, like you said, the the walks have improved. The strikeouts aren't really there this season, but uh, I think his swinging strike rate is pretty good at 14.4%. I know whiffs and swinging strike rate is different, um, but I tend to look at the the swinging strike. Uh, and his CSW is pretty good too. So I I kind of th- I think that his strikeout rate is going to get better as the season goes on. Um, and his hard contact rate is is not all that bad at all. Like there are plenty of guys with with far worse than than what Lizardo has. So I, I think some of the some of the maybe maybe they were nitpicks or what have you with like some of the performance. I, I think I'm gonna disagree with some of those. Um but definitely definitely I can understand the the volume argument. Um and I think probably something I missed when I was when I was going through with these. So I can see him moving down uh, in my rankings next time around once I factor in, you know, volume concerns. I need to. I don't, I don't know if you need to update your your peripherals or what, but his. I'm looking at it, at Savant, and then I I looked at Fangraphs too. His, his XERA is 404 right now. Maybe maybe because I'm looking at pitcher list. So I don't I don't know if they did an update or if Savant did an update. Someone someone's off. So <laughs> the XFIP is actually worse than I thought it was. It's four thirty six. The XFIP, yeah, I have four thirty six on XFIP as well. I I don't know really what to make of ERA estimators all the time. I feel like there's too many guys who are like, oh, they consistently outperform their ERA estimators or, oh, they consistently do worse than their ERA estimators. Like there's too many of those. So like, I'm just going to look at other stuff before I look at that, I guess. So. Yeah. I think the way that a lot of people have looked at it, because they're, they're honestly, there's not as strong a correlation as you would think. Mm -hmm. (laughs) at least between future performance, I think it's better. It's used as a tool better to evaluate what has already happened rather than a predictive mm-hmm. tool of what is going to happen. Um, so I, I think it's, I mean, I guess you, in a way you could kind of use it like that, but I, I don't think you can look at in this instance, um, a 436 XFIP and be like, ah, Asus Lazardo is going to have a 436 ERA the rest of the way. That That's not anything. That just, I think this means that well, this tool is better used to look at his performance right now and be like, oh, he probably deserved a higher ERA than what he got, according at least according to XFIP. Um, I think it's better used in that way than trying to say that his his future results are going to be, you know, 
that that's going to be his his ERA going forward. But yeah, there the ERA there are definitely a lot of ERA estimators out there. That is that is an interesting topic that maybe we can cover another time. But um, yeah, definitely definitely interesting that there are so many out there, and they're all just formulas, really. At the end of the day, <laughs> they're all like they're all either simple formulas or mm-hmm. uh, like a like a machine learning sort of thing. It, it's not it, it's not as and I don't want to say it's not intuitive, but it's I, I don't think it's what some people expect. <laughs> it, it's it's a formula predicting predicting ERA, but yeah. we won't dwell too much on that. That's a topic for and that's a that's a segment for another day, I should say. We'll go to another guy. I think you are too low on, and this is a guy with absolutely dreadful peripheral peripherals, but I do think he is still too low. You've Shane Bieber all the way down at thirty six. Why? Oh, why is he so low? Uh, I put him down there. He was, I think, a victim of the process. There were just guys, because of how bad his peripherals were, when I was going through and like bubbling guys up the, up the ladder, there were just, there was just guy after guy who I was like, I mean, either they're performing better than Shane Bieber already and their peripherals back it up, or they're about the same or only a little bit behind where Shane Bieber is and and their peripherals say that they should be should be doing better. The the shorter answer I think is Shane Bieber's in that weird tier behind Jesus Lazardo of guys who I think are having like good to great starts to the season plus Joe Musgrove who like just barely started the season. Um, good to great starts, and I I kind of buy what they're doing, with the exception of Shane Bieber, um, and that's why he's like the whole way at the end of that tier of guys who like the next guy on my list is Chris Sale. Like I'm not Chris Sale has struggled to start the year. I'm not going to put him above you know, Shane Bieber and other guys in that tier because those guys are doing good and Chris Sale is not. So there's like kind of a hard cutoff there at 36 for me. But Shane Bieber, of the people who I think are going to kind of fall out of this tier, I think Shane Bieber is at the top of that list uh, because like you said, his his peripherals are so bad. Let me pull up his his page, but just plummeting swinging strike and K rate, basically like all of the worries that there were for him last year when his velocity was down and he kind of just outdid it somehow. It's all like coming to reality, except like the points haven't exactly like plummeted along with it. I was kind of a little high on him coming into the season just because like he's a volume guy and uh, you know i i don't miss out on volume every time shane bieber i i flagged early in the season as like okay this guy's going to get you innings and that's going to be valuable that's like the floor stat for pitchers in our in our format because they get 3 points every time they f- they get 3 outs um and shane bieber is at least doing that so far this year um, he's currently, according to pitcher list, he's currently second 
at the position with 45 and two thirds innings. So he's, he's getting the job done so far of the people who are getting the job done so far. I believe in him less <laughs> to, to kind of sum it up. Yeah. I mean, the signs have definitely been worrying, but it is that, that volume thing where he's, he consistently pitches deep into games. And I get that the strikeout rate has just absolutely cratered and really anything that has to do with strikeouts has just disappeared for him. But I mean, he made this work last year. I, I, I get that the concerns are still are still here, but I mean we've kind of seen we've seen him succeed sort of in his own way and subvert it. Like I think we were nervous about Shane Bieber all year last year. I don't think there was really a time when we were like, okay, this is fine. Like we were all just kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop and it just never really did. Um, I, I, I don't know. I normally wouldn't put as much trust in that because like the strikeout numbers have, have shown like this is, he gets hit pretty hard and he puts a lot of balls in play. So, I mean, you got to think that would come back to hurt him, but it really, he he's able to kind of, he's, well, he's been able to kind of mitigate that and, I don't know. I guess maybe I'm a, I don't know that I should be, but I might be close to the point where I'm like, if I'm kind of going to believe until they show me otherwise, just because this has kind of been his thing for so long. Um, he's his velocity collapsed. Uh, I guess it wasn't just last year. It's kind of been declining for a little bit. I don't know. I think even with the diminished stuff, he kind of showed that he's, able to to pitch and still succeed that way like he's he he's definitely a pitcher he's not a thrower because i mean he can't be because he doesn't have diminished stuff or he doesn't have the greatest stuff but i don't know i might i might be at the point with shane bieber where i can lower him because he doesn't have the same ceiling anymore with the, with the strikeouts being gone but i don't think i'm ready to put him this low for sure uh, especially with the with the volume, like like you said, I, I think that gives him a pretty solid floor to work with, even if it doesn't come with the same ceiling it used to. Uh, yeah, I'm not ready to lower him this much. Um, it wasn't that long ago that he was, I mean, as soon as last year, or as recently as last year, heading into the season at least, I think he was a consensus top 12 pitcher. Uh, even this year, I want to say he was top 20 still. Um, I think if I... If I had done rankings, I'm pretty sure he would be like mid twenties, maybe like mid to high twenties, I think, for me. So we're we're pretty we have a pretty sizable gap here, I think, on Shane Bieber. And I it, it sounds like it is our level of belief in his his ability to kind of navigate his diminished stuff. I guess is is how I'm viewing it. I don't, do you have any any thoughts on that? Yeah, I could I could probably be like the the doom and gloom guy on on Shane Bieber and just be wrong. I think I I think I'm also giving myself some room here to for him to to bubble up as things progress through the season. Like if the points just continue to be there for him, like I I think ultimately you and I agree like he's just gonna be Shane Bieber maybe he's not Cy Young Shane Bieber anymore but you know last year he was a pretty darn good pitcher and if he does that again this year like we're very happy with what with what Shane Bieber's doing 
Um, I, I think for me, just again, like just the so to to use some of the things that you pointed out about Lizardo, I think you already mentioned Shane Bieber has. Uh, he gives up a lot of hard contact. That's another thing that I thought, like, ooh, that, like, he, he he's has... always he's always done that though. Like, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's not a the, even with the diminished velocity, like that's not anything new. He that's always been a part of his game. Sure, sure, sure. But it is, it is worse so far this year. It's up hard contact up six percent from last year. Uh, at 36.5% this year, 30% last year, 24% the year before. So with better stuff, it was better for him. Last year, significantly worse. This year, worse than that. But also the, the, ERA, the ERA estimators, both like looking at his past years where he's been fine, uh, last year, his ERA was 288, xERA 341. That's pretty acceptable. His xFIP last year was 291, so like a lot closer. Uh, and FIP was actually a little bit lower at 287. This year, however, he's got an ERA of 296, which is still really good, just uh, 0.1 above his mark for last year. But his XERA, FIP, and XFIP are all... His XERA is up almost a full point to 4.2. FIP, 4.04. XFIP, 4.43. So it, it's not... You know, last year, he we had our concerns, and he kind of... He outperformed those concerns. This year, he's outperforming those concerns... Last year, I think he outperformed them in a believable way. This year, I don't know that it's actually believable for me. I don't know. I mean, today, Bieber threw six shutout innings against, I mean, it was against the Tigers. So he's... Well, I didn't make these rankings today, did I? <laughs> I'm just I'm just saying, six I, shutout I could innings. Absolutely, I could absolutely be wrong. He's 36 for me, which is an SP3. I get that's that's as low as Shane Bieber's. That's too low, been, my basically. guy. But I, I just, I, I think he's, if anyone's going to fall out of that range, it's going to be him. All right. We're going to have to disagree on that one. I, I think you're, you're much too high on, or, or much too low on Shane Bieber. Uh, let's go to a guy that you are, I think you are too high on and, I know you're excited to get the chance to talk about him and no, he is not on your team. Lucas Giolito, you have all the way up at 30. Why do you have him so high despite, I feel like there might be a little bit of favoritism going on here. Uh, probably yes, but also no, I think. I, I think it, Lucas Giolito, I think, is kind of Give me one second to pull him up. He's kind of like the... He's one of those guys, again, at 30 above Shane Bieber. He's in that tier of guys who are having good to great starts to the season. Lucas Giolito, I think I would put in that good start to the season category. He's averaging 11 points per game. That's 
that's very respectable. And I think part of that is hampered by one really bad start against the Pirates, who were just just unbelievable to start the year for some reason like the the signs from that start in particular was just kind of like you throw your hands up like okay he had a bad day it wasn't like his velocity was way down or something like that uh i just think lucas giolito is one of those he's just having a quietly good start to the season and the underlying numbers aren't amazing by any chance but they're not to me, they're not pointing to like oncoming disaster, certainly not in the same way that I think Shane Bieber's are. And I don't know. I just think Lucas Giolito, I kind of saw him as coming into the season. I had him fairly high. I think he was in like the 40s for me. He was in that tier of you know, probably an SP4, but with some upside. And I think so far this year, we're seeing more upside than downside. And that's kind of what I wanted to see out of him to start the season. And, um, you know, uh, again, of the, the guys in this tier, maybe maybe a tad bit of favoritism because he's my son. But... I think he's, I would probably say, I think he's likely to kind of stick around this range rather than move up or down. But that's that's where I'm at with, with good old Lucas Giolito. So you mentioned that the velocity hasn't been worrying for you, but it, I mean, it has been for me because this, he, he is not back to where he was Um. I guess like he he's still showcasing the bad Giolito velocity from last year, not the good Giolito velocity from when we viewed him as a top 20 pitcher. Um, and that's the thing that concerns me the most because that was his biggest problem last year. Um, now, he had lots of problems last year. He couldn't really locate. His, his changeup was kind of all over the place. He was basically a mechanical disaster last year. But the primary thing was his fastball, he lost velocity, and it was terrible. And he hasn't regained that velocity. I guess I, it's not so much that I'm a Giolito hater. It's just I don't know that I would have him up here. Um, I guess like I would have him near where you have uh, I, Shane Bieber at 36, um, around <laughs> where Chris Sale. Um, I think you have Lance Lynn in that range too. I would have him around those guys. Maybe it's even a little farther behind. Um, He's still in the he has not done enough where I think that he deserves to be out of the kind of like the show me tier where we kind of need like we need guys like Lance Lynn and Sale to kind of show a little bit more signs of life before we move them up higher. I think Giolito should still should be around them. Like, I think that's kind of the grouping that he should be with, Um, not necessarily some other some other guys who should, who he should be. I don't think he should be higher than that. I get than them. I guess I think he should be closer to that range. Um, there's even some other guys on here uh, who I think are safer. I mean, Shane Bieber among them. Uh, but like Giolito, I think I think hasn't done enough where he deserves to be ahead of you know the likes of well, let's say Logan Webb, who I don't even really like that much, but 
I mean, still Logan Webb, I think is is definitely safer than than Giolito. Uh, it, it's just the fact that Giolito was so terrible last year that I think that he doesn't. I don't, and there were so many problems, and they haven't really been. The, the biggest one, at least, hasn't been resolved as of yet. Um, when that, which is the velocity, I don't know that he deserves to be out of this, out of the tier with Sale and and Lynn. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's kind of my my main gripe there. And then like where you have Sale and Lynn, that feels that feels right. That feels like a good spot. I think Giolito should be around there as well. I don't think he. I don't think he's done enough to earn the the promotion out of that tier yet, for me at least. I, I think, yeah, I can I can totally see, I can see a scenario in which Chris Sale and Lance Lynn basically swap places with Lucas Giolito down the road if if Giolito's control falters. It, it's been pretty good so far this year which I think has led to the improvement that we've seen so far. But if that falters and, you know, the the velocity doesn't return to, to where we saw it when he was good Giolito, then I, I can see him falling down and maybe even farther down because if if his performance falters and it's because of like a clear reason, like he's he's going to fall down to... You know, some guys who are, you know, in, in that range where they're not performing all that great and you don't really know if you can trust them to bounce back. Um, I, I think where I see it now, Chris Sale and Lance Lynn have been off to slow starts, but I think we can bet on, you, you talked about, you know, signs of you know, signs of life. I think we can bet on those signs of life being forthcoming. And with Giolito, I think what we're looking for is is signs of is the opposite. Signs of signs of struggle. Signs of oh, the velocity is the biggest problem, and it's it's going to hurt him in the long term. I think I'm I'm betting on that not happening and leaving him up here. And I, I think also like you got we have to remember like good Giolito wasn't top thirty pitcher, it was top twenty pitcher, top fifteen pitcher. Uh I have him at thirty right now, like right at the tail end of the top thirty. And I think that's an acceptable spot given given his track record outside of last year and some of some of the improvement that we're seeing so far this season. Um, and absolutely the the diminished stuff, just like you know, with Shane Bieber, like the diminished stuff is a concern and it can bite him in the long run. And I think it will for Shane Bieber. Lucas Giolito, I'm I'm not entirely sold on. Like if he if he cleans up the rest of the stuff, but the velocity doesn't get back there, then he's not gonna be great Giolito top fifteen. But I, I can still see him as 
good Giolito top 30, you know, SP3 guy. All right, let's go to our last name on the list. And that we're going to jump way down. I think you are too low on Alex Cobb. You have him down at 70. Why is he down there? Let me go ahead and pull him up. The notes I have here. This this is about a this is probably more or less boils down to like my methodology and the process I was going going through for this and probably the fact that it was very late in the rankings and I was I just I wanted it to be done uh, but so the sp50 to 70 range to me is all about like okay who's startable because this is like the the 50 to 60 are like the guys who you're starting uh most of the time if not always just like taking up your last spot at sp5 the 60 to 70 guys are the guys you'll slot in for like if they have a better matchup than the guy in the 50 to 60 range or if they have a two-start week and your last your sp5 doesn't to me that screams alex cobb uh, i think his he's had a He's had a decent start to the season. I think he's startable. I I think certainly in the right matchups and with two start weeks, he's a guy you feel okay about putting in the lineup. But I think his his numbers so far are propped up by what I think are just a fluke uh a complete game shutout. Um, and the reason that happened is because Mike started him and Mike's on a mission from God. So I, I don't think we can put that entirely on Alex Cobb. Um, I, I, I believe he's exactly at 70 for me. I could probably move him up ahead of some of the other guys in this range. I think, uh, Kyle Gibson was a guy we almost talked about, but I, I looked at today and I thought, I how did I have him at 68? That's that's incorrect. So we, we did not talk about Kyle Gibson as to uh, preserve my uh, credibility on the podcast, which I just ruined anyways. But anyway, regardless. Plus, I had Nick Martinez at 69, nice, uh, ahead of Alex Cobb at 70, and I didn't know that Martinez was moved to the bullpen. So that's another spot. So at least two spots I can see moving Alex Cobb up. But I think that range, it's a very wide range, I'll admit, but I think that range of like, you know, not a guy that I want to start every week, but with the right matchups or two start weeks, I, I would feel okay with that. I, I think that range is good for him. Yeah, that's that's probably... I guess that's sort of where I would have like that's the right mindset I guess with him. Um I think I would still be starting him more often than not, but I, overall I I don't disagree with the frame of mind where you where you've placed him. I guess my main thing is like I mean you mentioned Gibson I wouldn't wouldn't have ahead of him. Um Oviedo as well is another one. You have him you have him behind Jose Barrios. I wouldn't have him there. Uh, I I think I would have him ahead of the Sclafani and maybe even Hayden Wesneski. I I think at the very least he I would have him in the early sixties. 
perhaps a tad higher. At least yeah. for me. Yeah, I, I don't think I'm going to fight too hard on this one on Alex Cobb. Like I said, it's like it's getting to like once you get to number 60, like the rest of the rankings is just like, oh, I guess I have to do this. Right. Because like, I mean, you want to know who you want to have on the bench. Um, but yeah, I, I think Hayden Wisniewski is is a little bit higher because I happened to be watching his game on Sunday while I was making these rankings and he was looking pretty good. It was against the Marlins, of course, but he was dueling with, um, with Sandy Alcantara. So that was nice to see. Um, so Hayden was a, a little bit, a little bit higher just because I was watching him pitch well in the moment. So that was definitely a bit of recency bias there, but, but yeah, uh, yeah, we're, we're not, very far off with with Alex Cobb. Well, I mean, if we're not very far off, I'm not going to spend any more time debating you on it. Uh, so that brings us to the end of the segment. Um, Jerwin, next time I'm not going to go so easy on you. I will have my own rankings um, that you can also pick apart. But thank you for letting me be a coward in this segment and just having to take it without being able to dish it back out. So no, I I I appreciate it because last year. I kind of came in blind and did did basically the same thing and our, our roles were reversed and I felt completely outmatched because you had spent all the time like actually making your rankings and and thinking through your reasoning. So uh, now now we're even and uh, we can move on to to a real debate and, and really have at it uh, next time around. Yes, absolutely. That will will we'll definitely. We'll definitely have to do that next time. But uh, let's go now to our um, let's go to our what, why am I blanking on what it's called? Let's go to let's preview next week. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> so give me give me your uh, your best matchup. Uh, best matchups got to be Endry's week. Nate versus League villain Nick. Uh, oh, you got to you got to love the brotherly matchup. Yeah, that's definitely the best matchup. Um, any things to watch for? Uh, I think I alluded to it a bit at the top of the episode. I'm going to be watching to see if Brendan has actually saved his team. Uh, how How is the pitching staff going to fare in its second week together? You know, new faces all together. You want to impress the new owner. But uh, how how's it? How long is it going to last? Is it going to fall apart again, or or is this band aid more of a a cast that is going to do the real healing? My thing to watch for is not actually fantasy baseball related. It's just will the Pirates ever win a game again? Um, <laughs> currently, well, I should say currently, the game is over. They have lost ten to one to the Rockies today. Um, I don't even I don't remember how many losses that I guess they won yesterday, but just total turnaround from when we thought like you know world series contender right but uh yeah will they ever win a game ever again that is what i'm that is what i'm watching for myself but let's go to matchup predictions um we'll start with me versus eddie um i picked myself here fantrax also picked me who do you have i went with you all right the andrews bowl League villain Nick versus Nate. I picked Nate here. Fantrax uh, agreed. I also went with Nate. Are we going to have another unanimous episode? 
we better not. Although that makes it convenient. <laughs> that makes it convenient for tracking picks, I will say. Uh, Mike versus JC. This is number one and number two in the East Division. I went with Mike here. I don't really see any reason to to stop betting on him right now at this point. Right now, at least. Um, Fantrax agreed with me again and also went with Mike. Yeah, I got to go with Mike. He's continued to look strong from his hot start, and JC has kind of faltered. So bet on the hot hand and not on the uh, the scuffler. All right, we'll go to your matchup. You are facing off against Scott. I chose Scott. Fantrax agreed again. Uh, who do you have? I went with Scott, but you know the vibes are are doing a lot better this week. I actually I actually deleted the app from my phone, so I wasn't constantly checking the scores. It's done wonders for me, and uh, I actually checked the score, and my offense is actually doing pretty great this this week. I I had heard that Dylan Cease had a bad start, and I was like, oh, here we go again. It's going to be a rough week, and the pitching staff ha- has. Got enough to a slow start, but the offense is actually looking really good. So, you know, here's to here's to some mental health moves and and getting off your phone for a little bit for the sake of the team. There you go, uh, Brendan versus Nick Lee. This is the first one. This is the only one we I disagree with Fantrax on. I picked Nick Lee, but Fantrax bet on Brendan continuing and forming two thirds of a winning streak. So they picked Brendan. Yeah, earlier in the season, I I bet on the hot hand of Jordan, and I said I was going to ride it until the wheel and until the wheels fell off. I'm going to do the same thing with Brendan here. I'm gonna I'm gonna ride with the Rutschman uh, until the wheels fall off and and make me sad. Last matchup, Sam versus Jordan. I picked Sam. I telegraphed it earlier. Fantrax also picked Sam. Same for me. All right, that brings us to news and notes. Starting with injuries, we have Luis Garcia. He is he had Tommy John. He is done for the year. Pete Fairbanks has a forearm injury. I don't think he has a timetable yet. Um, Max Freed, what we now know is a forearm. He, I think he's going to be out for a while, but I don't know that we have a confirmed timetable. I don't think we do. Originally, I had day-to-day with working through some stuff, which is kind of funny that that was a thing. But, um, yeah, it is confirmed he is on the injured list with a forearm injury. Mason Miller has an elbow injury, um, although Nate so kindly put in the group chat, um, updating all of us that Mason Miller's elbow is actually, it's not, there's no structural damage. So I I think he's right now considered day-to-day. And then also we have Kyle Wright, who went on the injured list with a shoulder injury. This is the same shoulder that he injured previously. Obviously, it is his throwing shoulder. Um, as always, which manager do we need to direct the most sympathy to for their loss? I mean, the obvious pick is Jordan losing Max Fried after just trading for him, but also Pete Fairbanks. It. That one has got a sting because Fairbanks was off to kind of a slow start because the Tampa Bay Rays were just blowing people out, so he didn't have any save chances. He was pitching, but it wasn't in a save chance. Um, and then as soon as Fairbanks goes like day-to-day and is like nursing the forearm injury, the the Rays get a bunch of save chances, and they all go to Jason Adam. So 
big sad for for Jordan for the obvious reasons, but uh, a double whammy and a stinger with with Fairbanks. Yeah, the the freed one is the biggest, just because uh, like this was hours after Jordan had traded for him. Yeah, that uh, this all kind of went down. So definitely a tough scene there. Uh, call ups, we only have one, and we're not going to talk really about him because, um, well. We're not going to talk about him because he did not do so well and, you know, not great. This is Pirates pitcher Luis Ortiz, um, and the game was actually today that he started. Um, he gave up five runs, but only two were earned. He only had one strikeout, um, seven hits and in five innings, so... Nothing really super encouraging to talk about on the call-up side. Uh, and then I, I guess for the, the, the guys that got sent down, this is strictly JC's team. Um, and that is Gavin Stone and Vaughn Grissom. I thought was kind of interesting. The, the Braves don't seem to believe in him very much, at least. They, they didn't play him at all last year in the playoffs. And um, this is now the second time he's been demoted for Orlando Arcia. So I don't definitely inter interesting that he's being, I guess, treated this way because I think he's someone that we were kind of excited about coming into the year. But yeah, tough scene for JC, two prospects getting sent back to the minors there. Um, any thoughts on any of those prospects, Ortiz, Stone, or Grissom? Yeah, I... Grissom is the most interesting just because it's been kind of a saga with him. Gavin Stone was an interesting name. I believe he came up and laid an absolute egg. So uh, send down makes sense, but maybe he'll be back later in the year and have it figured out. So someone, someone to still keep an eye on at least. All right. That's all we have for this episode. Um, one one note here i will probably at least for the foreseeable future it seems like i'm off next week but it looks like at least over the next few months i might have to start appearing a little less frequently um just with so just with work and some other some other outside outside things i i, I don't have quite as much time as i would have hoped and i i definitely don't want to come on and you know like half-ass a podcast because i don't want to be on here and not prepare anything or you know just just be hosting without contributing um i have a lot of fun doing it i, I this is by no means like a retirement speech i just uh I, I will probably have to appear a little less frequently than i would have hoped um but all that to say let's start signing up on the sign up sheet guys come on um we need you to get on here and uh and help uh just contribute your your voices your your other opinions um I, I think i said before jerwin and i are seems like we're aligned on most things except for shane bieber um <laughs> and uh it, it's always more it's always makes more it makes it more interesting and better content when we have some some other differing opinions on so let, let's get let's get you guys on here um let's get signed up uh i i will definitely be i will i will still be on the podcast like i said i will still I will still be regularly hosting as much as I can. I just won't be, I just won't be able to be on at, at every week um, going forward as I, as I kind of would have liked going into the year. But anyways, 
thanks for listening, everybody. Sign up on the sign up sheet, and I will not see you next week, but Jerowin will. And good luck, everyone, except Eddie, who is playing me. Beautiful.